0: I'm Matthew Frost, and welcome to another episode of Fully Scored, a podcast looking in-depth into the history, harmony and meaning of Salvation Army music. So I'm joined by Andrew Blythe here from the Music Editorial Department. Andrew, we introduced you briefly for our first musical analysis last episode, but I'd like to give you a proper introduction now as our guest today. So um, I googled your name. And Google tells me that you're a watercolour artist from the town of Rye in East Sussex and that you had a fulfilling career as a landscape architect and how you're now fully devoted to painting. It also goes on to say that your painting is concerned with creating a dynamic balance between factual elements of the subject and free-flowing, spontaneous rendering full of light and atmosphere. Then uh, a little picture of an elderly spectacles, balding, grey man popped up. And I realised it wasn't you. I think it might have been the glasses that gave it away. Welcome.
1: And I've been found out. <laughs> you
0: have. Oh. And I love that you've decorated the ISB yes. band room with yeah. your watercolours. You want to see Wonderful. my house. It's unbelievable. It's, is this it's the a one a that you painted or are you actually... Well, uh,
1: my house painted and my house with paintings inside the house. <laughs> uh, no, thank you, Matthew. No um Really appreciate that introduction. No problem. Also, if you Google my name, you come up with... Um, a guy that's been convicted <laughs> uh, and has served a life sentence in prison. <laughs> and uh, a composer, actually, oh. an Australian composer um, uh, that, uh, that actually shares a recording with an Australian composer called Paul Sharman as well. No and Yeah, we've shared a programme together on an evening's wow. music in Australian radio, Paul Sharman and Andrew Blythe's music. But it's amazing. N- it's not us two.
0: How often do you Google yourself then?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, every day, every, obviously.
0: <laughs> well, after that introduction, I'll let you tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah, well, I'm I'm the head of music editorial, and so uh, my responsibility is to be the custodian of Salvation Army music, and to uh, look after the composers, uh, to select music for publication for the Salvation Army, and uh, to really kind of um, make sure that Salvation Army music's theology is uh, up to date. It's relevant and um, is publishable for Salvation Army bands and choirs to uh, play and sing.
0: So as custodian of the music, do you have a special pair of white gloves for touching the old scores?
1: We do. Um, we have the white gloves which we touch the white the scores with and also to play the tambourine with.
0: Fantastic. I've seen all of your routines on YouTube. I know.
1: <laughs> oh, you've been Googling me as well every day. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So could you tell us a bit about your background, where you're from and what core you're currently at?
1: Yeah, Well, I, I was originally from a corps in Margate, which is by the sea. Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do as a kid. Um, I enjoyed Salvation Army music, really loved it. Wanted to join a staff band, always wanted to join a staff band. So at, at 16, I came to work for the Salvation Army on, in Judge Street on the insurance. As it, yeah, left okay. school and just, just worked there, not knowing what I wanted to do. Um, started to write a bit, and uh, thankfully, um, back then it wasn't about degrees or or what you you know what letters you had after your name, um, but I think it was about I believe it was about potential and uh, Ray Bowes, um, through other people I would say saw some potential in me and and uh, at seventeen I joined the music editorial department and. I was put under the tutelage of two people. Uh, Michael Kenyon, who was a Salish Nami composer, bandmaster at Salsea, uh worked in the editorial department. So he taught me harmony. And a gentleman called Philip Catlinet, who was a professor. Mm. He was a real professor. Nice. Uh, who lived in Ramsgate and um, would teach me counterpoint, etc. And so they were that was like university education. I mean, Phil Catlinet's house was Quite something because you had on the top of the piano a picture of um, Vaughan Williams and Phil Catlinet talking about the Tuba Concerto, yes, and so it was really quite something to have that education. Um, and so I learned through that and through the department; it was fantastic, really.
0: fantastic. So you mentioned those few people that you worked with. Could you tell us about some other people that you've worked with as well at your, in your time? Oh here? yeah.
1: Well, uh, probably well, Kevin Norbury, Peter Graham, um, Ray Stemmler of course, um, have been like some of the real notable um, musicians that Ray Bowes, yeah, those kind of people. It's, it's just been fabulous. Amazing to be able to learn from them. Oh, and yeah, and, and yeah. And, and all all great encouragers in their own different way. Um, Kevin Norbury and Ray Stemmelheim would probably be my, my two that, that influenced me the most in, in, in my younger days.
0: Possibly a tricky question now, yeah. but have you got a favourite army band composer? Oh, without doubt,
1: Ray Staminade. And I think you'll probably ask, if you, we have many guests on this podcast, mm. hopefully, they probably come to that conclusion. Yeah. Just in terms of his diversity, his creativity, his some scope for different genres.
0: Mm. Really pushing the boundaries. Oh, man,
1: what a, what a man.
0: And how about um, non-army composer? If you got any favourites in oh, the yeah. orchestral world?
1: Yeah, Mozart.
0: Mozart. I'm a Mozart man. Old school.
1: Yeah, <laughs> my wife doesn't like it, but I'm a oh, Mozart okay. man. Very yeah. nice. Yeah, so. I, I I love uh, the Requiem. Mm. Um, the, some of the Mass that he wrote, Coronation Mass, Sparrow Mass. Yeah, all those beautiful. I love melody. Mm. Um, I love harmony, but I love melody good melody, and, and uh, Corey cool, he could write a melody, couldn't he? There's something so nice about
0: just being able to do something simply, but so well and oh. so polished. Uh, yeah, you know, everything that's was and correct and, with it? Mozart.
1: Mm. You know, everything was just perfect.
0: Polished, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. You know. Fantastic. Um, and who are your main inspirations when you write music? Is that, again, are you influenced by RSA and Mozart, or would you say you have different you're, you're influences in yeah, your influ- writing? I
1: think you're influenced by... By genres, by st- so if you're, you're thinking of a particular genre, you're influenced by the c- composer probably mm. has brought you into that genre. Yeah, um, and I, so I, I think music is is you're, if you're a composer, you're a magpie anyway. You you pick up certain things. Some, Some composers more than others. Some composers <laughs> more than others, and, and we won't mention anything no, 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 in this podcast at all. No, we, no. we wouldn't do it, anything like that. But but the, by the very nature of it, I think if you ask any composer. Um, you you are shaped mm. and influenced by what you've heard, by what influences you and what you like. Um, uh, so you're always going to pick up little bits, fragments of that. Um, yeah. Great. And what,
0: can you remember all the way back, what was your first ever piece that you had
1: published? Yes, I can, and I wish it never happened. <laughs> I really do. It, I'd written this little piece called Margate Young People. Okay. For our YP Band and it was published in the unity series when i got into the department i think i think uh, robert ray never published anything that i wrote because i was still trying to but Rob, when robert came in he published started publishing my music and i i thought it was great it's awful <laughs> <laughs> it's an awful piece of music i hate it and and so as the head now when composers write i often, and they write their first thing and they're desperate to get it published i often say to them look you know, l- l- trust me here because in five years' time, you'll probably look back and think, "Why did I write that?" You know.
0: <laughs> Can we get a snippet of that on on the, uh, no, we on the no we can't no we can't fantastic and how about coming up to date? Are you writing anything at the moment or working no. on any
1: major pieces? The 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 problem with my role is um, well, I see it differently from I think I think Ray Bowes probably saw it in the same way as I saw it. This role is very much function. Hmm. You know, if there's a three-liner that needs to be filled in, you know, it's my role, really, to to lead the way in that, unless I ask one of the editors. Um, but it's my role to kind of do that. So I've, I've always now, for a long time, seen functionality as opposed to creativity, and that's really sad. Mm. I think Ray Bowes saw that in that way as well, and I could see him sometimes struggle with that, as opposed to the, the genius that was Ray and Allen, who would... Just write because he could. Everything.
0: Yeah, yeah. I suppose, I suppose that, that goes up that way for a lot of composers, doesn't it? If you look all the way back to Haydn working mm-hmm. for the Estarasi yeah. family, yeah. you yeah. have to just write what you yeah. need sometimes. I thought he was just well looked world. after, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, yeah, I wish I was paid. I
1: wish I was I wish I was played like Haydn was played for functionality, but <laughs> there we go. <laughs> That's
0: a whole other podcast. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> One more question actually about your writing to pick your brains. What is your technique when you write? Do you tend to write a melody and harmonise that or would you write a bass line first or do you get little snippets of ideas and work sort of bar by bar horizontally or vertically or does it sort of change every piece you write?
1: I write at the piano for a start. Mm. Um, so I will, I will always sit at the piano and try and write uh, something that goes from left to right as opposed to just stop, stop, stop. It needs to have some form and some, some direction for me. Um, I can't start something without knowing pretty much where I'm going. Mm, I think a yeah. number, certainly looking at manuscripts um, of a lot of our younger composers or, or a number of composers that will write in Sibelius, I think they mm. start with an idea and, and have no idea where they're going to yeah. go with that idea. Um, I can't do that. Um, it'll be great, you know, we will one day have a podcast with Brother Downey. Um, Dr Downey. Um, and uh, I'm sure he would say pretty much the same. And, I, you know, I've been influenced by those kind of people. Kevin mm. Norbury would be the same. You can't... I keep going back to Ray Stemmeland, and I think this podcast will use his name quite often because he's, you know, he's the major player of Salish 'm music. You can't write like Ray would write, which was just completely inspirational and just off the cuff. Ray would write a score... He, he, you could sit him down at a desk with a blank piece of paper, uh, manuscript paper and he could write a score which started in a solo cornet part, second baritone, then bass, then he'd go to horn, then he'd go... Yeah, there was no... You'd think, <laughs> how, how is he doing this? But it was all in there and it, it all kind of like a Rubik's Cube happened. Whereas for me, it can't happen like that. <laughs> you know, I haven't got that capacity. It has to go... But I need to know where I'm going. I need to know what my narrative is. Mm. Um, before I even start.
0: So, you tend to write its short score and then yeah. orchestrate it yeah. after.
1: Yeah. Oh, Kevin cool. Norbury would do that. Mm. And so, things like Maccabeus, yes. um, he would have played that at the piano and say to me, he'd come in and he'd come into the office and he'd go, Come and have a listen to this. Sorry, Kevin, if you listen to this. <laughs> he's going to email he, I'm going to be in so much trouble. Um, and he'd say, Come and have a listen to this. And he'd play it. You know, he was a fantastic player. Amazing. But it would all be short score. It's fascinating. We don't need to score out.
0: So before we go on to some quick-fire questions for you, Andrew, I've got a question from a Salvation Army celebrity. Kenneth Downey has sent us in a question to ask you. I think it's a great question. (laughs) Oh, dear. I'm quoting him. I once heard Eric Ball say, introducing Wilfred Heaton's March Praise as chairman at a festival, that he wished he had written it. Can you name one piece by another composer which you'd like to be credited?
1: That's a good question. Um, is Ken Downey hoping that I'm going to answer one of his compositions? <laughs> 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 which, actually, to be fair, would as, as Ken's stuff is fantastic. Mm. Um, but for me, probably it would be Stedman Allen's At the Edge of Time.
0: Wonderful piece. Um, I've got a few more questions for you while we're interviewing you, absolutely grilling you, Talk, talking about grilling. What's your favourite food?
1: McDonald's. McDonald's. Big Mac.
0: Fair enough. Every Quite time. Every day?
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh <laughs> <laughs> Regular.
0: Okay, <laughs> I won't ask any more. How about yourself? In the kitchen, are you a you know kitchen composer as well? Can you whack out any nice dishes?
1: No, no, I can't cook to save your life. <laughs> okay, and you know I, I'm just useless. So Sue's been away like this week. We, we're recording this on a Friday. Yeah. Sue's been my wife's been away all week, busy because she's she's pretty hectic with head teacher and so all that big kind of thing
0: every day of the week. Right? Pretty
1: much so. <laughs> okay. Yep.
0: Crumbs so I've got a few more quick fire yeah, questions cool. about your favourite things um,
1: favourite yeah. film I like the Star Wars oh. stuff so first Star Wars one
0: very cool uh, A New Hope uh, favourite musical
1: oh good one Star Wars uh, musical <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> Les Miserables is <laughs> fantastic okay fantastic how about
0: your favourite soup tomato oh very old school would Big Mac to the it? In it? <laughs> yeah.
1: oh yeah that would be fantastic uh, favourite train line Favourite train line. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. The East Coast main line through mm. up to Aberdeen-Inverness. Can't oh, beat it. Going nice. through Berwick. Um, have you got a favourite word? Favourite word? Improvement. Mm.
0: Just like the way it sounds or, or the connotations behind it? I like the it. connotations
1: behind mm. it. Okay, fair enough. How about a favourite Bible translation? Uh, NIV for me, all the standard, time. Standard, standard, fair enough. How about a favourite chord? Oh, a favourite chord. Mm, is it a juicy one or just a plain, simple no, it's, it's a, it would be a plain, simple one. I usually find myself in F major a lot, that's what I'm I know it's boring. Probably the F major chord. I usually start there in most things.
0: Every morning. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, window seat or aisle? Oh, window seat. Ferry or Eurostar? Eurostar. Great, we'll have the tickets ready for you soon. Thank you. Uh, football or cricket? Football. Or any team that you support in particular? Well, I follow
1: Manchester United.
0: I'm out of my depth there. Are yeah, they, they doing all right this season? No. No? Move no. on. OK. Escalators, do you like standing on the right or walking on the left? Walking on the left. Or do you like to spice it up and stand on the no, right no, just, don't the, do, just to annoy people? No, stand on the left. So. Do not do that.
1: Do not do that. If <laughs> no, you no. do that,
0: especially Deep in, in London,
1: commu- you're a dead man.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: you do not do that.
0: OK. Uh, Rothko or Mondrian? Rothko. Mm, a wonderful Rothko room at the Tate at the moment. Yes, very it's nice. a floor, yes. lovely room.
1: Uh, do you have a pet cat or a dog? Cat. Do. You? Oh. Yeah. Well, no. My wife and Abigail as a pet cat. I I, I kind of just put up with it.
0: Fantastic. Um, that's all I've got for interview questions. Brilliant for now. Good. But thank you, Matty. Really right, good. Right. Good, brilliant. Thanks again for your time, Andrew, for those questions. Um, whilst you're here, should we continue with our musical analysis of Easter Glory, looking at second movement today? If you haven't listened to our first episode yet, uh, we thoroughly recommend that you do before starting this one. Uh, not only do we look at the first movement of Easter Glory, but also we had an excellent interview with Dr Stephen Cobb. If you would find it useful to go along with a score, I think we'd recommend that you can... Purchase a score at the Salvation Army Music Index website. And if you're struggling to do that, find someone that can Google it, and it'll all be good. Okay, so the second movement, of Easter Glory. We've finished the first movement. Jesus has been crucified on the cross. What happens now?
1: Well, the second movement is entitled Day of Mourning. Um, Really, a a day of emptiness, a day of nothing. And uh, Les. Faces the second movement on his own vocal setting work that he wrote for male voices, on Frederick Faber's uh, words, "Oh, come and look a while." Um, so that was published by the Salvation Army um, around about the same time that Easter Glory was printed, and so th- it's a very stark message, as you would imagine, and so that the music gives this very kind of sorrowful interval right from the beginning, which is used. Uh, right through So from the beginning you hear very much a kind of emptiness, a very kind of sorry state. The intervals go down instead of going up, it's it's not some it's not hopeful in a sense. It's very bare.
0: So I noticed before a the base line completely drops out and almost emphasises this loneliness and emptiness mm. um, but also the music's rising up what's the yeah. message here
1: yeah you're right I mean it is rising up if you notice the trombones are kind of like the underlying the underpinnings cornet, it trombone family um, it for me it represents the hopes of the disciples surely this is not the end it rises surely this this can't be and so Les takes the basses out he takes the kind of low sound out and the very doleful sound out, and gives it some hope for two bars, just a small glimmer of hope. Very clever, but then we go straight back in where the horns go low, and the basses come in, and there's this again, this this sound that actually, we hope it's something's going to happen, but but the reality of it at the moment no is, idea. yeah, absolutely, we don't no know. Idea.
0: Yeah, it's almost a dialogue in the mind between, yeah, this is what Jesus had told us, but yeah, no one can raise from the dead. Exactly, what's going on?
1: Yeah, and only two bars. Mm. That must have been a very long day mm. for them, you know, a confusing day, but an awful day. So, only two bars of, of hope within this movement, as such. Yeah, if you look at section B there, Matthew, you'll see that. Um, it develops the opening figure of um, the tune of Les's and the words, Together Let Us Look and Mourn. So you'll hear the figure at B in the horns. It develops that little thematic um, moment on Together Let Us Look and Mourn uh, right through the horns and builds in the high euphoniums, that lovely sound of high euphoniums and horns, the intensity of that without being too bright. You know, it's very mellow. It's it's very um it's very sorrowful. And so uh, Les then leads us into uh, a kind of very stark um, setting of his own music at Section C.
0: From Section C, we move into the tune The Crucified Lord. Andrew, would you be able to tell us what the words associated with this tune are, please?
1: Yes, the words, as I said, are from Frederick Faber, and uh, the verse that Les has kind of based it on is the first verse, "Oh, come and look a while on him, whom we have pierced, whom for us has died. Together, let us look and mourn. Jesus, our Lord, is crucified. So it's very much a kind of um, a viewpoint from the disciples of emptiness, of, of absolute um, despair. And as I said previously, Matthew, the, the little reference, the development figure in uh, A and B is found bar eight of C. With that little together, let us look and mourn, um, which is taken from the, the fragment of uh, of that uh, tune there. And quite interestingly,
0: we have a very unique percussion marking here. Snares off with bass drumsticks. So playing the snare with bass drumsticks, which is quite unusual. What do you think that is meant to represent?
1: Well, it's actually, it's a great sound. It's a thud, isn't it? It's it's a real death Technical knell. term. Technical yeah, term. Technical, term <laughs> technical term's the thud. Yeah. Um, but it's a, it's a death knell. Of, uh, of sound isn't it it's got that very dead sound so it, it does absolutely represent everything that, um, that Les is trying to do there and reinforces the argument from the previous uh, time when we talked about percussion writing in our first movement mm. um, Les is trying to use different sounds different colours, bass drum stick on the snare um, I think probably was unique absolutely. at that point
0: and hopefully uh, percussionists could read as well
1: they like, do that. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not too sure whether they can or not. Oh, <laughs> no. sorry, we're recording. Sorry, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we're moving. That's another whole yeah, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, percussionists. Yeah. We love yeah. you. We do love you dearly. Yeah, we do. They won't know how to work a podcast, so <laughs> we can say what we like. Right, that's definitely Matthew Frost. That's nothing to do with me. Um, any, any kind of complaints, please, uh, please uh, get the Twitter feed going. Uh, Matthew Frost uh, should be replaced. It's all right. Some, some of my best friends
0: No percussionist. <laughs> <laughs> OK, back, back to the music yes, before yeah, yeah. we do get yeah. in trouble. So, uh, again, the tune moves to letter D. And then we have just in the bar before letter e this complete pause um and then a really angry marcato figure at letter e do you think this is perhaps anger of the disciples how could jesus leave us this feeling of isolation turns into anger
1: yeah and i think it it, you, you kind of you are right you're going along that that real kind of anger despair from the disciples point of view um if you look at the words to verse four a broken heart. A contrite heart to none who will ask will be denied. A broken heart is love's dwelling, the temple of the crucified. It's what it's saying is that, um, you know, we're broken by this. We are sinful people and uh, we live in a sin-filled world. And we have put shame on the Son of God. And so there's a real intensity of the moment, recognising the disciples' grief at what they've done. At what mankind has done to the Son of God, and and it's built in this very very harsh. I mean, it's a great moment for the soprano.
0: Mm, you better, really you know, yeah. He, <laughs> Optional bottom A's. No, no one's going to play that. No, <laughs> no, no soprano of the right mind no, or, no. or qualities <laughs> ever going to go for that.
1: Yeah. Um, but it's got that that real intensity in unison cornets and trombones there, and then the the tune. Uh, that comes in there, Jesus our Lord is crucified again, the little fragment at the end of the tune there. Um, and, and yeah, it really talks about the the sin and and the despair of of the disciples absolutely just rejecting and and denying Jesus at that point.
0: And musically I love the contradiction between the the angry symphonic sort of sounds, and then you have the saxhorn family erupting mm. from the middle of the horns and baritones. And actually, if you think about the placement of the bands or the cornets and trombones yeah. either side and emerging forth, almost perhaps a precursor to Jesus coming out from the tomb.
1: Yeah, I mean, I often see, yeah, that the symphonic sound is quite right. I often find that many of our older pieces, Les, Eric Ball, Stephen Allen, um, could have been written for orchestras. Mm and here you've got the kind of brass section at the back. You know, that, those that, those octaves really, pinging those out, and the orchestra coming in there, you know, it's, it's beautiful.
0: We then move on to section F, Mino Mosso, and the original tune uh, is heard once again in the horns. What happens here harmonically?
1: Well, not much happens harmonically. What 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 we've got to remember is that from a lot of the time, from anger, you often just kind of, after your anger, reflect on, on what's gone on. So you've had this full kind of, as we said, symphonic scoring. It then dies down to the, the little figure, Figaro, oh, come and look a while on him. So, you know, the disciples have been angry about this. That anger's kind of subsided and the anger hasn't solved anything. To them, he's still on the cross. He's, he's still died. And and so the scoring really just dies down because out of that desolation, the scoring just loses the colour and loses, loses energy and it just dies down to this kind of bare fifth. It has nothing to it. There's no, there's no colour in there at all. It's, it's complete darkness. And um, it just finishes as such. Uh, just very simply, but very poignantly it, it's it's desolate that's that's the end of the second movement. There is no hope for them let 's have a listen to the end of the second movement.
0: just one more question before we move on this music is clearly very very programmatic it tells a great story do you think that all Salvation Army music needs to be programmatic or is there also room for absolute music music just for its
1: own sake and perhaps what's the trend at this time that is a very good question fundamentally Salvation Army music should be programmatic fundamentally Salvation Army music has to tell a story um, in saying that, <clears throat> um, for many years, I think uh, since um, since the turn of the 20th century, we've used classical music, and some classical music is just music, um, absolute music, and we've used that in inspiration um, to say that music can inspire thoughts. Mm. Um, and And I agree with that as well. I think we'd all agree that Absolutely. there's some yeah. music that we've heard and we've... We've, we've had a connection with the Creator God through that music. Just by its peace and tranquility, perhaps, yeah. creating
0: that atmosphere.
1: Yeah, or its strength or something mm. like that that really connects us. Um, but I think as Salvation Army musicians or Christian musicians, we recognize that connection that, that God can give us through that. Yeah? Mm. Whereas for non Christians, it's just music that inspires. For us, there's a greater meaning for that. But Salvation Army music fundamentally must have a message and a connection and a programme to it and a story to it, in essence. And, and we still do that within editorial and a music council where music is passed. It must have a theological story and message to it that's in keeping with Salvation Army principles. So it's very important to keep that, that message.
0: I think it's really important we address that Music used for a religion isn't just a Salvation Army thing. No. It's been going on for hundreds of years. Exactly. If you think back to the Psalms, yep. King David with his lyre, that's perhaps one of the earliest written examples of music being used in the church, all the way through Mozart, yep. Bach, yep. Stravinsky, all writing yep. sacred music as yep. well.
1: Bird, birds. some of bird, you see, some bird stuff, you know, that, that whole that whole kind of journey of religious music, we, we've taken that through in our own way, in our own form, and... Uh, and so we're the custodians of that as well um, within our denomination to to share Christian gospel through uh, the message of music.
0: Mm, absolutely. Interesting you mentioned Bird as well. When my alarm went off at quarter past five this morning, it was some Bird playing, so uh, was a little tie there. Uh, okay. I wasn't so happy at quarter past five quarter in past the morning. Quarter past five? Yeah.
1: to get a train here in time. Oh, that's late. I know. I we're know. we're <laughs> in by quarter past five at Music at Yeah,
0: I can, I can believe that. I didn't yeah. know there were two quarter past fives in the day till this morning. <laughs> In our next episode, we'll be continuing our musical analysis of Easter Glory, looking at the third and final movement, Day of Resurrection, Easter Sunday. We look forward to that. This brings us on to our final segment of the podcast, Band Mastermind. I'm joined still by Andrew Blythe, and after the success of Stephen Cobb's Bandmastermind last episode, it's all still to play for. You've got exactly the time it takes the ISB to play Jubilee, with a few convenient repeats taken out, so it lasts exactly 1 minute 30. Andrew, are you ready to play Bandmastermind? I am. <laughs> Your time starts now. The YBS CD Alpha and Omega features the music of which composer? Race to march.
1: Uh,
0: which march is number one in the Red Favourites book?
1: South or 100.
0: Incorrect. Wilfred Heaton was born in which UK city? Sheffield. Correct. What is the name of the third work in Martin Cordner's Eternity Trilogy, Escape, Velocity, Fusion and... <laughs> No, pass. Incorrect. Or pass. Uh, name one of the two solo- soloists featured on the Enfield Citadel Band's 2009 CD, Classically Enfield.
1: Dudley Bright. Correct.
0: What was the first piece published in the festival series?
1: Gems from Messiah.
0: Correct. In 1945, Eric Ball became the con- conductor of which contesting band?
1: CWS Manchester.
0: Incorrect. Oh, what is Bruce oh, Broughton's oh, c- first Salvation Army published piece? Oh, uh, the good old way. Incorrect. Oh. Taurus Fortissima by Steve Thompson plays tribute to which other Salvation Army band piece in its final section?
1: My Strength, My Terror. Correct.
0: RSA's Epic at the Edge of Time was originally written for which band? or Sizzle. Correct. Peter Graham wrote which piece for the 1991 centenary celebration of... Blazon. Correct. Who wrote Festival Series 209, Prelude on Three Welsh Hymns? Ralph williams Correct. How many works were published in the Festival Series?
1: 500...
0: No, that's it. Incorrect. Oh. The revised version of Laudato Donham added how... many? Time's up, but I'll finish the question the revised version of Laudate Dominum added how many extra movements
1: I was the editor for that as well Uh, (laughs)
0: two that is correct yes so the ones that you didn't quite get correct the first march in the Red Favourites book is Exeter Temple oh man by Leslie Condon should know that third work of Martin Corner's Eternity Trilogy was Escape Velocity Fusion and Skydance written for Birmingham Citadel Band a few years ago yes um In 1945, Eric Ball became the conductor of Brighouse and Rastry. Brighouse and Rastry. Bruce Broughton's first Salvation Army published piece was The Newborn Babe in the festival series. Um, And there were 600 festival series works published. Nice round number there to finish off. I I know it's a round number. So you got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine correct. Well done. I think that puts you top of the leaderboard. Hey. So you can have bragging rights over Steve for the next few weeks at least. <laughs> Thank you very much.
1: Thank you, Matthew.
0: Well, unfortunately, that brings us to the end of this episode of Fully Scored. If you have any questions about anything we've discussed today or any queries we can answer on a later episode, please send us a tweet. Our Twitter handle is at Fully Scored, or one word. Thank you very much to Andrew for joining us today. Is there anything you'd like to add before we go?
1: I think this is a really good podcast, great idea, and, and I hope that people get on board with it, Matthew. Um, we want, as you said, people to share any queries, or questions, or things they want us uh, you to raise and us and as a music editorial department to, to do. We're always here to help people, and I think it's a great great project and um, something to move forward with so thank you for the opportunity of sharing today
0: great. thank you for your time Andrew thanks also to our producer Simon Gash for all his work editing out all the bits where we were completely rubbish organising guests and generally just keeping us in check thanks also go to my team of band nerds for their help with the band mastermind trivia and thank you to you the listener for listening goodbye and God bless